Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Glad to have you here for week three of our series, Beautiful Faith, Brutal Faith. We're trying to acknowledge the fact that a deep and meaningful relationship with Jesus, if you're going to have a deep and meaningful relationship with Jesus, it's not like a Hollywood rom-com movie. It's going to have aspects of the brutal and the beautiful. And we don't need just a faith that's going to help us get through the brutal moments in life. We need a faith that can help us to find the beauty in the brutal, right? That's the type of faith. And we're focusing on the person in the apostle Peter in this series. I love Peter because he may be the most unedited, most authentic disciple follower of Jesus there is. I think we love him. And I say that in general. And we find him so relatable because his faith journey is messy and faithful, There's a messiness to it and a faithfulness to it. He's unique in that we get to see him early in his faith journey and we get to see the finished product. And you see the growth that happens in Peter's life. So in the beginning of our series, Pastor Keith started out by teaching us a little bit and sharing a bit about uh, Peter. And he took us to a promise in 2 Peter chapter 1. And you can go there if you'd like to in your Bible, your Bible app. But 2 Peter chapter 1. And he brought us to this promise and it was simply this. It, for if you do these things, we'll get to what these things are, you will never, can you say it with me? Stumble. You'll never stumble. That's a promise. That's a promise. If you do these things, you'll never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sign me up. I like that promise. But what are these things that he speaks of? Well, in, in verses 5 to 7 in 2 Peter chapter 1, he explains what these are. There's a list of things, faithfulness, goodness, knowledge, self-control. And Peter says it this way. He says, add to your faith, goodness. Add to your goodness, knowledge. And he goes through this list of essential things that if you can grab all of these, you'll never stumble. What a promise. And Pastor Keith helped us to understand these are not to be understood in a linear fashion. In other words, they're not like, okay, get faith done, and once you can check that off, then you can start working on goodness. It's not like that. They're intertwined. In other words, if if I become more loving and I add to my faith journey, if I add to my life and I become more loving, I'm actually going to be, it's going to raise my level of goodness, my level of knowledge, my level of perseverance. Every one of them begins to raise the rest of them. So they're all intertwined. They're all connected. And this is important that we understand that the spiritual life is gradual. It's gradual. Every metaphor in scripture, and there's tons of metaphors in scripture that talk about the Christian life, the spiritual life, and all of them are gradual in nature. In the very next chapter in 2 Peter, Peter gives us one of these metaphors. He says this, like newborn babes, drink in the spiritual milk of God so that you grow up into your salvation. In other words, If you just became a follower of Jesus, though you may be an adult in body, you are a baby spiritually. And we're to drink spiritual milk to grow up into 
our salvation. There's a gradualness to this. And this bothers Canadians, I think. Because Canadians chronically overestimate what they can accomplish in a year and chronically underestimate what they can accomplish in five years. Is that not true? We overestimate what we can get done in a year or a week or a day, and we underestimate what can actually seismically happen in our life over the course of five years. It's gradual in nature, the spiritual growth that we're to experience. I think this is one of the reasons we don't see more radical change in Canadian Christians' lives. I think it's one of the reasons. It's because we don't give it the time it takes. We don't keep at it. We don't engage in what author Eugene Peterson calls the long road of obedience in the same direction. We want it now. We want it dramatically. We want deliverance quickly. And we want these things to come together, not gradually, but instantly. Here's where I think we get confused. Spiritual freedom can be experienced instantly. But spiritual growth, that happens gradually. Don't get them confused. You can't come to an altar, and we're going to have a moment at the end of our gathering. Our elders are going to pray, and Pastor Jessica is going to lead us in that moment. You can't come to the altar and get spiritual growth. You can find spiritual freedom. You can find miraculous moments. God can break into your natural with his supernatural. That's what we're doing here in this gathering space. But you'd be mistaken if you think, well, I just take a trip to the altar, and I'm going to grow spiritually. That's not how it works. It's a gradual growth that happens in our life spiritually. So... Uh, that's why we launched the follow uh, assessments here at One Church Theo. Uh, Next Gen Follow, as well as for adults. And you can go to our website and take this assessment anytime. No matter what age or stage you are at in life, spiritually, there's a next step for you. There's, so when you take that assessment, our, I'm so proud of our adult ministries, pastoral team. They're going to get together, look at where you're at, and deliver you a personal follow plan to help you take those next steps with spiritually age-appropriate soul food. See, if you're still eating the same stuff you ate when you first came to Jesus, maybe it's time to move on to some protein, some spiritual protein in your diet. It's time for a next step, a next growth step. So here's here's where we're going today. This is the title of the message. Pastor Keith gave it this, and I loved it. How to raise your knowledge with the IQ you're stuck with. I love that. And I love that we're looking at Peter. Peter's an interesting character. In the New Testament, the two dominant writers, you know, are probably, would be Paul, the Apostle Paul, and Peter is one of the dominant presence. Peter is no Paul. Paul is an, if you read his writings, he's an intellectually robust writer. And you notice this, even Peter says in one of his writings, you know, Paul, he's sometimes hard to understand. He says that in his writings. Peter was much easier to understand because Peter was more on the feeling side of, in this, and he's more emotive, and he, he engages very authentically and genuinely, passionately. And so you can grab hold of Peter that way. Paul would go after the head first. And I love that, that, that Peter's no Paul, but Paul's no Peter. Jesus chose Peter to build his church on. It's important, we know, that this relationship with Jesus has to be both cognitive and has to be from the heart. It's a relationship for a reason. I can do transactional, informational exchanges with my wife, Shelley, but that will not grow a deep relationship. I have to share my heart. I have to share the inner parts of my life. And so 
Paul, Peter's a great example. And here's where Pastor Keith led us to start out with. And it's this idea of, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And we've been there. We've talked faith and goodness. And to add to your goodness, knowledge. I want to talk about knowledge today and what that actually means. Now, I know I'm talking to a group of very intelligent people. You know there's a difference between information and knowledge, right? Information is really organized data about someone or something. Information is a Google search. We have never had more information available to us about spiritual things, about uh, uh, social things, anything in life. You have information at your fingertips that previous generations never had that available to them. Uh, How many have ever used WebMD? Only a few of you? No, come on, put up your hands like you're proud of the fact. You've used WebMD? Yeah, yeah. I no longer use WebMD for this reason. Hi, I'm Dr. WebMD. Can I have your name, please? It's Jake. And your email and zip code. They're optional. Great, so what brings you in here today? Well, you're free. Too embarrassed to see a real doctor? You got me. What is it, Doc? You have cancer. How could you possibly know that? Oh, I tell everyone they have cancer. Why, what seems to be the problem, besides the cancer? I've been going to the gym more lately, and the upper part of my shin really hurts. Hmm, I don't know anything about that. Oh, okay, um, what if I just say my shin hurts? See, told you, cancer. See, that's, a, that's what WebMD's like. I put in my symptoms every time you got cancer. It's like, whoa, this is so extreme. Now, WebMD has a ton of information, but your doctor has knowledge. There's a big difference. Knowledge is this. Knowledge is an awareness or understanding of how that information connects to something or someone. So, you know, when I've gone to my doctor after I've done a little WebMD thing, and I'll go, listen, I saw on Google, and I can just see his patience with me. He just smiles. He doesn't roll his eyes. He just smiles at me. He said, do tell. (laughs) See, it's one thing to have information, and then it's another thing to be able to connect the dots to make it understandable, applicable, and relevant to where you're at. So this is what uh, Peter's driving at here. In 2 Peter 1, verse 3, he says this, His divine power has given us everything, this is big, everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness. Friends, you have everything you need for a godly life. Through his divine power, accessed by our knowledge of him. Our knowledge of him. And the knowledge Peter's talking about is very interesting. In verse 8, he says, if we don't add these things to our spiritual walk, he says, we'll be ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is Peter driving at? He's driving at what we call a macro theme in Scripture. When it comes to knowing God, knowing Jesus, having knowledge about God, it's not just a cognitive informational dump. Be careful. You're going to have leanings. For some of us, memorize as many scriptures as possible, and you'll never hear me push back against memorizing scripture. I love that. But but it it can't be just a cognitive, disciplined practice in your life. What Peter's driving at is it's also relational. There's cognition and relation in this word knowledge. That's what he's driving at. It matters that you know him as a person. So, I, I thought, you know, I've been around for a long time. I'm 52 years old, so I, I have some years on me. And when you get a little older, you realize there's a lot of people you know, but you haven't talked to in 20 years. 
You know, when someone asks me, hey, do you know this person? It's someone I went to college with or university with or something. And I go, yeah, I know them, but I really don't know them now. If you haven't talked to them in 20 years, you don't know them. (laughs) You don't know where they're at. You don't know how they're doing. You don't understand where they're at. See, every weekend, we as a ministry team, the elders would know this, the deacons, but maybe not everyone here, but I'm sure you know this. The hours of prayer and thought that go into every weekend, we're laser focused. The hours and thought that go into the whole follow plans, both for our kids and the adults and what we do in next gen, the amount of prayer and thoughtfulness that we build into that is because we want more than anything, it reveals our ministry heart, we want you to know Jesus, to know him here and to know him here. We want you to get what Paul got and we want you to get what Peter got. Peter, it came from his heart. That's why he was just kind of let it all out there. But it had to get to his head at some point. For Paul, it came through his head, but it had to get to his heart sometime. There's room for both in God's kingdom. This is how he works. This is how it works. So in the Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn. This is where we're going to spend our time in Acts chapter 4. This is a beautiful story. Peter and John are in the temple, and they are preaching about Jesus. Jesus has died. He's risen from the grave. He's ascended to the Father in heaven. And they start teaching about Jesus in the temple. And the problem was people began to believe. People began to connect the dots and began to have knowledge of Jesus as Savior, and this angered the religious leaders. In fact, the Sadducees, it says, the rulers of the temple, and and also the temple guard, arrest John and Peter for what they were doing. They arrest them, and the very next day, they drag them before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a religious tribunal, and it had all kinds of religious people on it. I'll explain who they are in a few minutes. And the the Sanhedrin, and they ask him this question, man, I would have loved to have been here for this. They ask him this question, by what power or what name do you do this? Do what? Two things. By what name and what power are you preaching with such authority? You uneducated, backwards Galilean men. And the second thing is, in the previous chapter, Peter had been going into the the temple, and he sees a man lame on the ground. The man's begging for money. And Jesus said that, or Peter, Peter turned to him and said, silver and gold I do not have. But, I always love the but when it comes to Jesus. There's something on the other side of that. Silver and gold do I not have, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. And the man got up and walked. Can you imagine why everyone were listening to them in the temple the next day? You know, if you've got someone, if you've got brokenness in your life, if you know someone who's broken and you know what just happened, aren't you going to give them a listen? Well, they're upset, the religious leaders. They're very upset by this. In verse 5 of Acts 4, after they spent the night in jail, they bring them before the tribunal. It says, the next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. So who are these people? Well, on one side, there were the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were the most liberal progressive of all of the religious leaders of that day. Uh, In fact, they become so progressive and compromised that they no longer believed in the resurrection. They didn't believe in miracles. They knew that religion was good for civic order. And they understood the operation of the temple actually kind of benefited them. So the liberals minded, they were liberal-minded progressive Sadducees that were a part of the Sanhedrin. On the other side... They were fundamentalists. 
conservative, fundamentalists, Pharisees that were a part of that. They, they were not interested in progress at all. They were interested in preservation of a way of life and tradition. So they, you had one group that were progressive, another group that were about preservation. They were all part of the Sanhedrin. Here's what's interesting. They hated each other. They, hated, they had no intellectual common ground whatsoever. But they're unified in this moment. Why are they unified? Because they're both angry. They both hate Jesus and they hate the gospel. Isn't it amazing how anger and fear will join people that would never have anything else to do with each other at different points in time? It's incredible how anger and fear can do that. I want to just pause for a minute to give you a PSA, a pastoral service announcement. If you'd allow me just for a moment. I just got back late last night. I flew in from Kelowna, British Columbia. I was there all week speaking to hundreds of pastors from the British Columbia Yukon District. Uh, they were struggling, and they asked me to come and talk about this. They were struggling with the amount of polarization and divisions that were in their churches. Uh, COVID hasn't been kind, but COVID revealed a lot of divisions and factions that were always there. But they got accentuated during this season. Uh, the, the ability to navigate it became very hard for many of us who lead. And it's no secret that as Christians, we didn't agree with everything in the pandemic, right? Can we just nod our head and say yes? <laughs> we didn't agree with every, how the government always handled things. We didn't agree with maybe even how we as a church handled things all the way through. There, there was differing opinions there. And so much was fueled, but I never saw more fear and more anger than I've experienced over these last two to three years. I've never seen it like this. And I've been pastoring 30 years. And fear and anger does a funny thing. It causes us to label one another. Have you ever noticed angry people like labels? I'd, you know, a label allows you to dehumanize someone and villainize someone. Anything but see them as an image bearer. Anything but see them as someone who's made in the image of Christ. Now, if you're not a Christian online or in the room, this is not for you. This is for, I'm speaking to followers of Jesus. But if you want to listen in, this might be helpful to understand a little bit more of who we are to be as followers of Jesus. Sadly, I've watched even, because people forwarded me lots of YouTube videos during this season, I saw so many pastors and leaders contribute to this division. I saw a lack of generosity, a lack of kindness, and a lack of love. Friends, that's not a good look for people who follow Jesus. It's just not a good look for us. The fact is, we in One Church Deal, we're part of a very diverse congregation. Diverse culturally, diverse generationally, but also diverse ideologically. We are. We're part of a very diverse congregation. On one side, we have people, a part of our church, that are a bit more liberal-minded in thoughts and values. And what they mean by that is usually more inclusive. They're, in, they're concerned with inclusivity. They're inclu concerned with, uh, with fairness, with social justice issues, and with progress. On the other side, we have people who embody more traditional uh, values, and they're more conservative in nature. And by that, they mean they, they, they're more autonomous, but they really uh, value traditional values that have this, the church has been built on for centuries. And, and at their heart is persevering a way of faith and life. And you know what's interesting? Where do you fit on that spectrum? I wonder where you are today. Are, are you way out here or are you way over here? I know for the bulk of the time I've ever pastored, most people I've pastored have sat somewhere right here. 
There were things they really valued on that side, and there were things they really valued on that side. But here's what happened in the pandemic. Fear and anger. And fear and anger pushed many of us more closer to edges, and some of us even over edges. Too truthful? Too honest? Don't worry, I won't keep you uncomfortable very long. What I did notice, from my vantage point, the more fear gripped you, the more you went this way. When you're fearful of change, and change that's outside of your control, and also, too, I've noticed that people with younger families tend to move more this way because we're retreating back into a traditional value of life, something that served us well in the past and served our families well in the past. Hey, I get it. I notice that anger often pushed more people this way because in the pandemic, we saw inequalities like we hadn't seen in a long time. There, there is issues that should concern us as Christians about the inequality racially in this world. It's an outright sin. There are inequalities, there's a, a lack of, uh, of fairness even with finances and everything else in this world. So they, they, they got a little more angry. They sent, moved a little bit more that direction. You know, friends, we struggle with inequalities in life. We struggle with traditional values in life. And then we start labeling each other. And this is where I, I thought, this is not healthy. I heard Christians calling these Christians woke. And they didn't mean it in the way the term was originally intended, which was actually something pretty good. No, they meant it to villainize these people. What they were saying is, these people are unorthodox and unbiblical. And then I heard these people getting labeled as being privileged, as if they didn't care about inequalities in this world. Friends, labels, they weren't meant to be generous. They're not meant to be calm kind. They're meant to make sure that we don't see that they are also brothers and sisters in Christ. That maybe on this spectrum, we could all be Christians together. Have you ever noticed, though, that Jesus couldn't please either of these groups? He couldn't please either of these groups. Uh, he ate with people that the liberals hated. He ate with tax collectors and others. He ate with people that the conservatives hated. He ate with people that had morally were just, they, they were abhorrent to the, to the traditional values, and he ate with them. See, I love, and I'll always use this quote because I love how scholar, teacher, pastor Scott Sauls puts it. He says this, Jesus was too liberal for the conservatives and too conservative for the liberals. He really was. He really was. He was too conservative for the liberals and he was too liberal for the conservatives. There are kingdom values on both ends of the spectrum. Now, I learned this in spades over the course of the pandemic. I have for years, 30 years of pastoring, I've spoken on justice issues so many times. I can barely count them. Why? Well, because I believe if you value Jesus in the kingdom and the gospel, justice will always be a part of what you are living out and trying to live. But I noticed when I talked more about justice issues, I got emails, people claiming that I was woke or liberal. And equally, I got so many emails during the pandemic because I spoke against so many things in our culture, values that are not of the kingdom of God, and I got labeled as being privileged and conservative. Some days you feel like you can't win, right? I'm, you know what? Maybe I'm talking to people out there, not in the room. It's too quiet in here. Here's, here's the thing I'll say to you. If you've never felt uncomfortable with something I've said, Pastor Jessica said, Pastor Keith has said, just stay tuned. We're pastors. We're not politicians. And that's not to denigrate politicians. I'm thankful for public servants that do their best in seasons like this. But I will always point you to Jesus. 
I am always going to point you to Jesus. I'm always going to elevate truth over what is trendy in our culture. But it means that sometimes the kingdom of God values are more on this side or that side. Hey, let's do the Jesus way instead of a liberal or conservative way. Here's my pastoral advice. If anger or fear has pushed you way out on these wings, take a step towards the center. You you can always be on this side, no problem. You can be on this side, no problem. But don't let anger and fear move you to the margins and to the extremes. When you're, all of a sudden you're deconstructing your faith or you're, you're defending your faith. Listen, you all, I already know this about you. Your YouTube al- algorithm on your YouTube channel already knows where you stand. And it's going to make sure you get plenty of videos that's going to reinforce whatever worldview you have. And if you're older and you watch Christian TV, I'm going to tell you, the algorithm's going to push you here. Because most TV people who watch Christian TV are older. That's just public knowledge. And and they're going to appeal to your traditional values more so. And the best way to do it, to make a give and everything else, is to really villainize those people. Don't be used. Don't let people use you in their own pet projects or anything like that. Let's try to discern what it looks like to do life the Jesus way. one, One last thing, because I've seen fear do a lot of this. And fear is a terrible thing. It moves you closer to the edges every time. Don't let it own you. I, this is where I, I, I've wrestled with as a pastor. I've watched fear controlling followers of Jesus. And I'm trying to reconcile that with what I see in Scripture. When Daniel and his friends, like why are they not afraid of an all-powerful King Nebuchadnezzar? But Christians I've talked to are afraid of our prime minister. Afraid of our premier? Afraid of a tech company or a drug company? Or afraid of, even afraid of a school board? And I, I keep thinking, do you think they have that much power? Do you think they have the type of power to corrupt your children? Do you think that they have the actual type of power to somehow destroy the church or faith? Friends, de- read history. For decades, dictators have tried to squash the church of God, but the gates of hell have never prevailed against it. You know, I believe in a truth that is in Jesus that will always cut through the noise. We don't need to be afraid, but I don't know who needs to hear this. And I want you to know, friends, I say all of this as someone who deeply loves you. I deeply love you. I pray for you all the time. And I'm so thankful that we don't think the same. I am thankful we have a very diverse community ideologically even in this church. I'm very thankful for that. But I don't know who needs to hear this because maybe fear has been gripping you. I don't care if it's the ninth inning, last out, and we're down 10 nothing. We win. Don't we already know how this ends? We should be confident and strong in that. I love how Pastor Keith has said for decades in this church, you cannot kill a Christian, you can just relocate them. Don't let fear own you. Jesus has overcome the world. He's overcome the world. And so when it looks like, no, he isn't, and we're from that end, and we're seeing things go this way, and fear grips us, hey, remember, Jesus has overcome the world. We can trust him and anchor ourselves and tether ourselves to him. And when the world seems more this way, and you're sensing the inequalities in life, listen, Jesus has got this. Stay in step with him in the spirit. That way you can do justice the Jesus way. You don't have to become like the culture. You can do it the Jesus way. Okay, enough of the PSA. Sorry. Forget all that. Doesn't matter. And it didn't apply to you. I know we're all, we're all, we're all good, right? 
so quiet in here now, okay. So let's pick up the story again. Acts chapter 4. They said, by what power and name did you do this? And the Greek language is even more uh, charged. It, basically, they're saying, who do you guys think you are? Who do you think you are? And by what authority and on what basis do you do such things? And this is a moment. This is one of those moments I wish I was in the room. Because it says, then Peter speaks, filled with the Holy Spirit. He lets loose. If you read that passage, he lets loose. And he said, I'll tell you which, by what name and authority we speak, by the name of the authority of the one that you killed. Amen. Jesus. In the name of Jesus is by what name and power and authority that we heal and we teach. The religious leaders are astonished. It says this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Man, would that be said of all of us in this room? Whether you are uh, on the academic, scholastic, you feel very schooled, very educated, and maybe you even feel a little special at times. Or you feel very ordinary and you feel undereducated and underappreciated. Would it be wonderful it was said of the people of One Church Duo that we knew they had been with Jesus? That they had been with Jesus. It made me think of my, my Grampy McKnight. Um, he's long dead and gone. This is Fred McKnight was his name. And that's my grandmother, Della. They're both gone now. Uh, I remember Grampy McKnight's funeral. Uh, Grampy McKnight was a farmer his whole life. I don't think he finished elementary school. Uh, and the preacher who was doing the funeral said he was an uneducated man. And that was true. And he followed it quickly, but oh so wise. My, my, my grandpa McKnight would tell stories. And he, you know, sometimes he'd repeat the stories. We'd be at the dinner table and we'd go, have you heard this one before? But he told them so well, you wanted to hear it again? Anyone have anyone like that in your life? I love great storytellers. But the stories always had lessons. Those stories I've had lessons about people, how people work. He taught me so much about the kingdom of God just in the way he unpacked it. Was he going to be Peter, Paul to me? No, he was Peter to me. And he had such incredible wisdom with what he did. Now, wisdom is applied knowledge. It's the application of the knowledge that we have. They're unschooled, they're uneducated, they're ordinary, and this is what's offensive to these religious leaders at that time. Offensive because they're blue-collar workers, uneducated workers, telling white-collar workers what to do. This isn't right, and it's shocking because they're preaching with such authority. This is the man who denied Jesus just a short while before, and all of a sudden he's preaching with authority and teaching with someone that doesn't even have credentials. Here's what the gospel does. The gospel comes for those of us who are more liberal-minded and reminds us that you're no better. You're no better than the most ignorant or backwards conservative you may know. You're no better than them. It doesn't matter if you're an enlightened liberal. It doesn't matter. You are a sinner. And the gospel comes to those of us who are more conservative and reminds us you're no better. You're no better than a progressive, liberal-minded other person. Just because you're morally conservative, it doesn't matter. We all are sinners. Christians are people who say, I've been radically humbled. There's a really interesting account by a man named Nathan Cole. He was a farmer. I think it was in 1741. And there was a 
preacher that came through his area called George Whitfield, and he preached the gospel, and he chronicled what happened in his heart. This is what he said. It's very interesting. My hearing, George Whitfield, preach gave me a heart wound. And I saw by God's blessing, my old foundation was broken up, and I saw that my righteousness would not save me. To be a Christian means your old foundation is gone, and now you have a new cornerstone. It's Jesus. That's why we don't buy extremely into our culture. Because we're of another world. Our foundation is not just what I've been grown up in. My foundation has been replaced. It is in Jesus Christ. He is the firm foundation, the rock that never, no matter what comes, we won't stumble when we have built our lives around him. I've been so radically humbled. You see, you could tell that Peter and John had been with Jesus. Something had changed from the Peter we see early in Scripture and the Peter at this point. Something had radically changed. He had moved from someone who had knowledge or information about Jesus to someone who had connected the dots. Now he knew. Jesus is not just a good man, a good teacher. Jesus raised from the dead. Jesus ascended to the Father. Jesus is God. And he's willing to lay down his life for it. See, it's not your age, it's not your stage, it's not your status, it's not your education, it's not your ability that determines your usefulness, it's our getting so close to Jesus, it's our knowledge of him, it's knowing him. What makes us useful to the kingdom? That you know Jesus. And if it's just an intellectual transaction, really you know about Jesus. But if you've experienced him and felt him, I have a friend who came to Jesus at 18 with no Christian background in this church. And I remember their words, didn't understand a lot, but what they knew is they felt God. I want that for every one of you. That you experience that hug from Jesus that only he can give that you experience him move in your heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. See, while you're saved by faith alone, you're not saved by faith that remains alone. You're saved by faith alone, not by works, but you're not saved by a faith that remains alone. Your faith needs to result in a changed life. Your life needs to be transformed. Now, some of you in this room, you're like me. Some of you have been going to church your whole life. I grew up going to church. I had followers of Jesus as parents, and I grew up going to church. Some of you, that's not been your experience. But when you've been around church for any length of time, whether you grew up in it or you've been a Christian for a while, you start to get to the point where you're going like, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I've heard that before. Have you ever been there? Come on. There's not too many things I've heard that I didn't hear before. There's not too many things. But what Peter's driving at here when he talks about the knowledge of God, he's saying, even if you know it, there are parts of your heart and your life that don't believe it, haven't applied it. There's parts that are holding out. It's still in you. We have information, but we need to grow in knowledge and application of that information. See, don't you know, if you are not singing with joy in your heart, if you are not forgiving everybody and anybody, if you're not dealing with your fears, 
If you're not finding joy when you're under trials and tribulations, you need to know this. You're forgetting. You're forgetting that you've been cleansed and forgiven. You're forgetting that of what he's done for you, and you're forgetting what he's promised to you. You're forgetting it. The reason why it is the mark of, every, of the most mature believers I've ever known that they go back again and again and again and again to the same truths it's because the reason they recognize that the reason I'm unhappy is not because I don't have new knowledge. It's because the knowledge I have is not being continually renewed. So I, I went to BC this last um, uh, week, and I knew I was going to British Columbia, and I don't go there often, so I follow a guy on Twitter. That I, I'm, I, I'm on Twitter quite a bit, and I don't know this guy at all. But we've had an exchange, and I could see he was someone he might be watching right now. <laughs> he had started following me um, uh, during the pandemic, too, and we had exchanged some... I realized he was someone that was kind of like deconstructing his faith. Been in the church his whole life, but it was really struggling with some of the hostility he saw in church and the inability to dialogue really well. He realized people had lost the, the gift of being able to just disagree with each other and still love each other. And that, that even grappling with the complexity of the social issues were difficult. So I, I did the daring thing. I, I DM'd him and I said, listen, I'm gonna be in BC. Do you wanna go to eat? And Shelly's like, you don't even know this guy. I loved it when I was going there. She goes, oh, good luck with the Twitter date. <laughs> you know, like, it's just like a... So this guy's in Vancouver, but he drives to Kelowna because he had, it happened to be, just by luck, right? right, that he was going to be in Kelowna. So he picked me up after I spoke in the morning session and we went to lunch. He's a little older than me. We sat across from each other and I gained a friend. I was so thankful. I could see the providence of God that we connected in that moment. And the only encouragement I gave him is I've been there. I was the kid that couldn't figure out why we are so rigid at times and why we are so afraid of ideas of the world around us and why we didn't actually believe what we said. We say prayer changes things, but we weren't content enough to pray about it. We had to shout about it too. I, just, I found those things very difficult to add up in my own spiritual life. And he, he asked me, well, what made the difference for you? I said, I tethered my heart to Jesus and him alone. He's the only person that never disappointed me. He was the one that every time I read him, I felt so challenged. I felt a heart wound. I wanted to be like him. Because isn't Jesus amazing in the way he cuts through the noise and he points his finger right on that area of your life that's in compromise? Right on that area of your life that you're holding out. And at the same time, he's hugging you. It's incredible. He loves you. You know he loves you so much. He wouldn't spare that heart wound from you for anything because he wants you to mature into full faith in the knowledge of God. That type of closeness with Jesus requires a relationship. So I want to pray with you in this room and online. I want to pray for two groups of people. I'm going to start by praying for all of us as a community that we don't have to agree, and I'm glad we don't. I think there's real beauty in this. I'll tell you, if you lean this, more, this way, you better have friends that way. You need friends this way. 
They're going to keep you anchored to pieces of the gospel, pieces of the teaching of the word of God that are very healthy and helpful for you. And by the way, I'm not talking about political parties here. This is not about politics today. It's about ideology. But if you lean more this way and you know naturally you gravitate this way, you need some friends that way. Because they're going to pull you a little bit more to the center to say, you know, to remember what also of the kingdom of God is valuable on that side of the spectrum. But I want us to acknowledge as a community, no matter where you are, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. I know you can't agree with everything I say. That's okay. I can still love you. I hope you can do the same. I know I won't agree with everything you say, and maybe not everything you do, but I can love you. I can choose kindness, generosity, and love. Listen, it's love and truth, right? And you need a community to discern that. And if you find a community that just thinks like you and looks like you, well, you're likely going to miss a big part of the truth. So I'd like to pray for you, and then I'm going to pray for those who want to follow Jesus today. Let's pray. Well, Father, we come to you humbly today. We recognize no matter what we're bringing to the, to the table, whether it's, whether it's great life experience or whether it's great uh, uh, educational experience, we recognize that all of that, all of that is like clanging symbols in the presence of the almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God of the universe. God, sometimes we think, God, we're more than we are. But today, we acknowledge as a community, we all come to the same place. We're, we all have to humbly bow at the dirt at the bottom of your cross and acknowledge, without you, Jesus, we can't do this. So we come to you as a community, and we pray, God, we pray that you'd help us to embody truth and love, God. Love and truth, God. That, Lord, you'd help us to embody a kindness and a generosity and a compassion about the way we view the world and the people around us. And also, God, a resilience and a strength, God, and a courage that we are anchored to some truths, Lord, that we're willing to speak about too, God, but in the Jesus way. So, God, I pray, Lord, that you'd help fashion in us as a community that we would look like, act like, smell like, sound like your son, Jesus. And then I want to pray with those that might want to follow Jesus today. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. I can tell, I, I know I speak for many people in this room, many people online. Best decision I ever made in my life was to bow my knee to Jesus. But when you come to him, it's not a negotiation, as we sung earlier. It's a surrender. I come to you, and I give you everything. There's no transactional moment with Jesus. You give it all. And here's the amazing thing in that equation. You get it all. You get more than you could ever give. You get the riches of his kingdom. So Jesus, I pray for those in this moment and that these words find you where you're at. You just, you can mouth them yourself. Jesus, I humble myself at your feet today. I acknowledge that you are king. You're king over all. And that's why I don't need to fear in this world. God, you are king over all. I trust you. Even when I'm going through the brutal of life, I trust that there's beauty in it, God. Even when I'm experiencing the beauty of life, I know, God, that there are lessons to be learned in those moments. And God, I pray, I surrender today, and I ask you to forgive me. Would you forgive me for the things I've done that have hurt other people in this world? 
the things I've done that have harmed myself or the things that have put a barrier between you and me. And God, I pray that I would walk in truth and love. God, that you would guide me by your spirit, fill me with your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.